Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. What have we got on the show today? Well, um, a few things. Uh, Frank Kimura of Movida, Movida Next Door, Movida Aqui, Bartini. So many places I miss so much, <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, we're going to have a chat to him and um, find out what he's been cooking, uh, what he's been doing. You know, the obvious questions. What have you been doing to pivot? Pivot. Pivot in this time. Or uh, as Pat Nurse said, uh, pirouette. That's much more graceful. It's more stylish. You get uh, better marks from the judges. We're going to talk to him about uh, paella. And why do Spanish lose their minds if you put chorizo in a paella? We'll find out about that. And also maybe some of the other uh, dishes that uh, we might be able to have a go at home. We're going to have a chat to John at the market. Uh, That's ready to go. I've already spoken with him, as you know. And then kids in the kitchen. How do you cook them? No, no, that's not right. Uh, Kids in the kitchen. Let me start that again. You'll be amazed at how early you can get kids started off on the on the journey of um, cooking your own food. It's very true. And um, and really, uh, one of the things that amazed me when I first went to the Kitchen Foundation, um, Stephanie Alexander's thing, as I saw these little munchkins and they're all got knives. And I said to Stephanie, Stephanie, you've given them all knives. And I remember she looked at me as only Stephanie can and said, Cameron, (laughs) you just have to trust them. And plus they'll cut themselves once and then they'll learn, you know. It's a great way to learn. (laughs) It is a great way to learn. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much the... uh, the show for today, but before we um, we do start, uh, we we were talking about this before, Cal. Um, we had uh, Dan Hunter on the show from Bray. That's right, a few weeks uh, ago, and uh, we were talking about what he's been doing um, and how his garden's looking and uh, how he was going to go with the the opening that was scheduled to happen. And there were some very lucky people that got to eat at Bray. Lucky buggers. But unfortunately, it's well, we know what's happened. So, um, Bray at the moment is, um, is still operating. So, you asked me just to let people know Bray is still operating Thursday, Friday, and Saturday for regional Vic patronage. So, obviously, if we're in town, there's no way that we can go to Bray. So, just forget about that. But if you're living around the area, and Carl, you were saying there's a lot of people from around the area who do. Well, certainly during Radiothon, we have wonderful subscribers living all the way down towards the Great Ocean Road in Apollo Bay. It's they incredible do. how far the signal goes. Yeah, they do. And, and we, listening online, of course. Well, yeah, I know. We can do it in the <laughs> you know the new 21st century way. Um, so, yes, you can do that. And also, um, Dan, if you are listening, thanks for those beers that you, um, you slung me a few days ago. Next door to Bray is um, a paddock. And Dan thought um, a while ago that... I make bread and it would be good to, you know, get the the wheat next door rather than he was getting organic wheat from, I think, another state. And he started growing this wheat and some of the wheat that has been grown, he's made beer 
and uh, it was really it was really good, Dan. If you are listening, um, it uh, now I'm just trying to remember. It, it was a wheat beer, but it didn't taste like a wheat beer. Like have you had a Hoe Garden? A big creamy sort of thing. This was made with Galaxy Hops, and it was quite uh, a neutral sort of sessional beer. So anyway, I'm not sure if that's available, but um, you could go to the the Bray site. So regional Victoria, you can go to Bray. Frank Kimura is on the line. Frank, g'day, mate. Hey, Cam. How are you? Um, Look, I'm really, really good. Really, you know, just... uh, uh, actually, I'm lying. <laughs> it's just this this thing wears us all down. But I guess we just have to try and just keep smiling. How have you been travelling? Uh, a little bit like you, I guess. You know, we're just pushing on. I think that's you know that's what hospitality people generally do. You know, in sort of circumstances that are tough, whether it's a tough service or tough <laughs> economic conditions or a health crisis, where. Uh, people that just keep moving on we we have that great um saying in hospitality i think the americanization of that because otherwise i have to put a language warning is uh when you're in the weeds uh which is actually when you're in the uh, is i think how the french say it um and you do you just have to put your head down and keep working until you've cleared all the orders and uh that's this it. is sort of That's like that. analogy for this situation, yeah. Yeah, but it's it's like that, but it's almost opposite, isn't it? It's like, you know, it's not like we have a lot of orders on the board that we have to get out the way. It's like trying to organise ourselves so we can get orders on the board. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a funny period because, I mean, we, we, I still feel as busy personally as I've ever been, you know, just trying to juggle situation, the restaurants, um, you know, all our staff and, and trying to do things a little bit differently so, you know, there's the revenue that we can still generate. So it still feels like, you know, a really busy and, and you know, typical sort of tough time, but it's, but it's just, yes, very different to normally just getting into a service and having 100 covers and, and pushing <laughs> through and getting to the other end. Yeah, and then, and then putting in the orders late at night, you know, yeah. uh, for the next day, there's... And that's the thing, this, that rhythm has sort of been lost too of, of working mm. in hospitality because there is so much of a rhythm about it, isn't it? You know, when you're starting prep, getting ready for service, and then service has that yeah. rhythm to it. Every day is different, but there, there's a structure. And yeah. that's, I mean, I like that, that structure, but within that there's always a different ingredient or a different special, a different dish, mm. a different person with different issues, and, you know, everything is... Um, is always interesting, but it, it, it's that structure that, yeah, is definitely missing at the moment. There's a few things that I'm missing, and mm. uh, it's uh, a lot of the dishes from you. Like, I haven't had one of those anchovies with the tom- smoked tomato sorbet for way too long. Um, wow. I have Bartini next door. There was this instant classic that you made, which was that um, that watermelon with the uh, the... What was it? So slightly yeah, dried tuna. Hammer. Yeah, cured tuna loin. Far yeah, out. That is good. I miss that again. I mean, another classics of sort of how I think you know the best dishes we come up with. Are, you know, classic dishes like the the anchovy and the smoked tomato is a you know a play on anchovies, bread, and tomato, which is you mm-hmm. know every you know, cuisine in the Mediterranean, but also watermelon and mahama. 
is like, you know, prosciutto and melon, but instead of prosciutto or jamon, it's, um, it's cured tuna. So similar sort of flavour combinations, but just tweaked a little bit. Dare I say it was a good pivot. Uh, <laughs> that's it, you've got to think on your feet and yeah. do somersaults. <laughs> yeah, with a half pike. But, exactly. But, okay, so um, Movida and uh, certainly I know Movida. What, what are you doing? You've got a takeaway menu at the moment. Is that what you've done? Uh, to... Yeah, like a lot of us. I mean, we, we also we have a, a business which is called Balamentaria, which has been operating for, well, 10 years now. Yeah. Luckily, over the last couple of years, we put a, a website together to sort of um, start selling retail. So that sort of import our own wines and, and lots of pantry items. So those anchovies, for instance, that you missed, yep. you know, we can deliver them to your door. Unfortunately, not the sorbet. But, yes. uh, you know, so lots of, you know, piquillo peppers and pickled garlic. And then on top of that, you know, wines and wine packs and all Spanish-based, which has um, been going really well. And then as far as the restaurant offer, we, um, we're working now. We were doing our own menu there, there which is like a, I guess, a menu of the day. If anyone's been to Spain, it's a classic um, way most people, you know, most working people during the day go and have lunch in a small bar. It's, it's accessible, sort of comfort Spanish food, well-priced, and we sort of put something together along those lines. And and now we're working with a company called Provador, which has wow, been okay. working really well. So they've got you know, a whole range of different really good restaurants ourselves and uh, flower drums on there, Supernormal, Maha, the names here yeah, that go on and on. And sort of the idea is the food is not particularly just ready to heat, but it's more so you have a few little bits and pieces to put together at home and then you, know, you get to it as close as possible to the dish that you can. So we do a paella, for instance that people have the components for and then they put together themselves. Oh, really? Well, now, okay, yeah. and thank you for that. You've um, you've just sort of got us organised onto that topic beautifully and seamlessly. Well, perfect, wasn't it? Thank you very, very much. <laughs> um, so, paella, or uh, paella, as um, yeah. we, we are still paella. a lot of... <laughs> what, what is the... Pro- can you do, give us the proper pronunciation so we can feel Spanish? Um, it's paella. So double L in Spanish is pronounced Y. So just think of it that way. Paella. Paella. And, yeah. um, and the, the thing about that is, first of all, it's the most important thing about getting a successful paella is, first of all, I have the pan, but is the rice. Indeed. Yeah, and it's, it's a dish, it's about the rice. That is the essential, yeah, in, most important part, no doubt. So, if you're going to do do that, it, it would um, behoove you um, to get some decent rice. And the one that is sort of the Rolls Royce of the rice is the the Bumba. Yeah, um, it is. It's. it's um, I mean, it seems really pedantic, but it, rice matters. Um, it's uh, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I'm not going to cook a, a risotto with basmati rice. No, and I'm going to cook a paella with a borio, and, and there are reasons behind that. So bomba is is one of a few different varieties they use, but it's it's definitely the most forgiving, and and the reason is it's 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 uh, what's a redondo rice, which is a round rice, mm-hmm. and it's um, very low starch. So with a paella, you want it to be like a pilaf almost at the end. You want the the grains to be separate and not connected together, so flaking apart. So so for instance, the borio rice. 
high starch. You get it's that all about the starch. Risotto. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you don't want that. And, that. and the bomber rice also absorbs three times as much of its own volume in liquid, so it actually um, takes on a lot of flavour as well. So there's reasons behind it. But, um, yeah, look, I, I really recommend... It's, it's an expensive rice, but, I mean... You know, for instance, that rice that we use currently in the pay pack that we're putting together is 200 grams, and that feeds two people really substantially. So mm. it's not like you're using kilos of it. The the other thing about bumba rice is that it's your friend because it is really, really hard to overcook. It's a very forgiving friend. It is. Yeah. True. In fact, like the um, payeros, the guys that make pay as a... As a profession, and that's what they focus on. So the guys, so the area of Spain called the Abafuera, which is where pay originated, for instance. Whereabouts um, in Spain is that, Frank? So it's south of Valencia. It's yeah. a sort of marsh, rice marsh area where the Moors brought rice to Spain 900 years ago, and um, it's been grown there ever since. And the, and the Valencian pay originated from there. And they now have, obviously, they still grow the rice. And they have, that's the best place to go and eat pay because it's, still traditionally made um, over wood fire and you get the proper ingredients, which are uh, gofforo beans, which is like a white butter bean, a white creamy butter bean, yep. um, rabbit and snails. And they're sort of the classic flavour combination of the Valencia paella. So, I mean, when you think about that, that's really um, the ingredients the people that were picking the rice had around them. So that's kind of how... A dish originates. <laughs> Yeah, it's basically, you know, the guys had the rice, yep. they had rabbits, they had snails, um, and they had this particular bean that grown in the area, so they put they get of that dish. And it was generally cooked. The payer pan also originates from the fact that, you know, there might be groups of, say, 10, 12 people picking the rice, and at lunchtime, uh-huh. somebody would be in charge of cooking the rice. And you can actually cook it quite quickly for a meal that, you know, feeds... Well, people, it can be done in 40 minutes, you know, so that, and that's really comes down to the rice and, and also the payer shape. Now, now, what is it about um, the very, very fact, and you've sort of explained it, but there, there is a propensity to, first of all, mispronounce this great dish and just called paella. Um, the second is that Australians seem to love putting, I'm going to say this, and just I hope you're sitting down, Frank, but... Um, <laughs> Chorizo. Yeah, we we did canvas this before. But to put chorizo with a paella is anathema to a Spaniard. It is. uh, It was like I'll give you an example of when actually I was in Spain researching a book once, and um, and there was this recipe put up by Jamie Oliver online, and it was almost created like a political incident between England and and Spain because (laughs) put chorizo in there, and there was just you know this. Hugh Har on TV, on social media. It's like, how dare he bastardise our he, you know, national dish? He comes to our and, country and what does he do? <laughs> yeah. And what did he do? He put Teresa in the payoff. What a lack of respect. Oh, my I God. I, I, I understand that people enjoy it, and I can understand why they enjoy putting Teresa. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's exactly the same example of putting pineapple on a pizza. Yes, there are people that will stand by it, but the tourists <laughs> will never eat a pineapple on a pizza. That, for yes. me, pretty much summarises the whole argument. Wow, that is so cool, Frank, because I was talking to someone else about that, and they, that was exactly what they said. What, you mean, sort of like, you know, Italians talking about pineapple on a pizza? I went, yeah, I guess you're right. But 
hundred percent. Yeah. Or parmesan cheese in a seafood pasta, for instance. Oh, you know, there's things that yeah. are culturally so sensitive about how you eat that dish, mm. and that one. And I mean, and it has its reasons. You know, like I've, I've tried it, and I think it overpowers the pay. I mean, you think about you know the classic paella people make. You know the. I call it the party paella where you've got seafood and you've got, you know, vegetables and chicken and whatever. Yeah, you've got prawns and mussels and chorizo and pineapple. It's kind of subversive in a way, really, because, I mean, you think about how many many cuisines have meat and seafood in the same dish. You know, I can't think of many other Western cuisines apart from maybe... Surf and turf in the 70s. Exactly. Yes, that's it. Actually, I can't think of any other dishes. No, and and it, it, to me the trousseau tends to overpower the flavour of the seafood, and it becomes, yeah. you know, one dimensional in my opinion. Okay, so we could do. Oh, let's just look. Just don't put chorizo in paella, especially <laughs> if you've got a Spaniard coming over, because they'll be deeply offended. Um, but oh, but what you do in the privacy of your own home is okay. Can we... Yeah, exactly. Now, if um, you're the pineapple person, keep going. Yeah, go on. Just, just don't do it in public, for God's yeah. sake. Yeah. Um, the, the thing though that um, we were talking the other day, and you were saying, look, as well as feeding workers in the field, um, paella is sort of a, a celebration dish because you have to have the large paella pan to feed a whole bunch of people, but. There are more things to this cuisine than just paella, and um, there are lots of different Spanish rice dishes that aren't paella. And um, you were saying that there are some that you love doing at home yourself. Yeah, I guess um, when I grew up with my family... um I was born in Barcelona, but my family's from the south in Cordoba, which is in Andalusia. And so they have their own tradition of rice cooking. Yeah. I mean, it's like, a, yeah, we're talking about the Valencian tradition, which relates to where the person is, the, you know, the location and, and the, the cuisine and the ingredients they had at hand. So Cordoba, there's um, quite, quite a way inland, so no seafood, lots of lamb, lots of pork. Um, they grow amazing hum, uh, pork for hummus there as well. And so they do a dish which is called a barol, which is similar sort of shape to a paella pan, the pan itself, but it has, it's almost like a wok with the bottom flat. Yes. Sort of a big paella pan with big sides. Mm -hmm. And we'd make those outside in the country. You know, generally the men would make it because it's like a paella or a rice dish is something that, you know, it's equivalent to the Australian barbecue. Blokes do that on they, the weekend. They've, they've, yeah, they've, that, they've got the, the tongs. Yeah. So here in That's Australia, right. the blokes got the tongs. In uh, yeah. in Spain, they've got the parole, and they are doing the low and slow sofrito. Yeah. Got to exactly. sound like I became California. With a sherry in hand. Yes. And we, so the sofrito in Spanish food is the onions and the peppers and the tomato and garlic and thyme, which is... It's very important in, in the parole. And then we add water. So we, we don't add stocks. So traditionally it's just water. And we bring that up. Yes. And then we might, well, before then actually we seal off with it. Let's say for the parole it might be some rabbit that um, is cut up into pieces and you seal that off in the bottom before you make your sofrito. Yeah. And you take it out and then you pop it back into the liquid itself. So you're making the stock while you're simmering the rabbit. So it's the sofrito and the liquid. And then there'll be some... some um, more than likely, uh, like a flat bean, a runner bean, mm-hmm. put in there, and then the rice goes in. So basically, 
you know, when the rice goes in, that's when it's time to call everyone in. It's like 20 minutes before, okay, everybody come to the table, the rice is going in, in it goes, 20 minutes later. And this one, unlike a normal payout, you can actually stir because it's quite a wet sort of saucy, yes. um, you know. It's it's loose. It's loose, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and really quite, yeah, a delicious thing. Um, but like I said, I mean, if you go to Catalonia, away from Valencia, there's, you know, the classic Arroz Cardoso, which is all seafood and a wet, um, you know, soupy type rice. Um, there's ones that come from further inland, which are Rafa Orno, which are baked rices, which are traditionally made in those, you know, if you go say, to a place like Casa Berica, you see those terracotta big pans, like much bigger than the ones that you normally do garlic prawns in in the classic old Spanish restaurants, right? So Every kitchen needs one of those, rice. Frank. They do, and, but they're amazing for the oven. Yeah, so they, 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 they do the sofrito and they do the everything and then they put the rice in and they take it into the baker's ovens after they bake the bread and they bake them in there and that's a rafalodon or a rice baked in the oven and they might have, you know, sausages, um, not, not chili so, but pork sausage and, and duck and chicken and other things like this depending on, you know, what, again, what the ingredients were around them. So, I mean, for me, yeah, the... the the variety of rice dishes in Spain is, is equivalent to, you know, the variety of risottos in, in Italy. It's every region, every town has its own different recipe, it's its own different methods, and that's derived from the history and the tradition and the ingredients that surround them. And no chorizo. Not in the pan. Not in the pan. Well, there is, you know, there's, um, Miguel Maestro was telling me, so, um, well, I'm Spanish yet, but there is a tradition in Murcia, which I've never been to, which is where his region is from, near the Mediterranean, just uh, north of Andalusia, where they do so in, in a rice dish. So, again, there's always an exception to a rule. Sure there is. Sure there is. Um, Frank, thanks for um, helping us out with that. Um, folks, if you want to look that up, there's um, an interesting Google search you can do, which is uh, uh, try Spanish rice dishes that aren't paella, and, uh, and a few of those will come out. It's there. It's a thing. That's awesome. Well, in in the meantime, myself. how do we get in touch with you to uh, get some of your food on our tables? Um, you could uh, head to our website, movita.com.au, or head to provador.com.au, or head to alimentaria.com.au. It's got a few different options. But if you head to our website, you'll definitely be able to find ways to um, support us and eat and drink some delicious Spanish food. Um, look forward to having a sherry with you at some time in the not-too-distant future and maybe an anchovy. Got to be nice. Frank, thank you for taking some time to have a chat with us. Thanks, Cam. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Right back at you, mate. Wow, there's a lot of stuff here, John. John, good morning. Good morning, everybody. How are we today? Well, we got sunshine. Yeah, thank God for, for that too. Because, I don't know, uh, the next few minutes. That breeze is a little bit mean. It is mean, isn't it? It is mean. When I when we were driving in this morning, the sun was just coming up, and I could see the wavy red, orangey colour in the sky, and I said, "It's going to be a windy, dirty day." You swore, actually. Well, maybe I did. <laughs> we won't tell you what. We won't tell the listeners what you said because the little children might get all. It might wilt a little bit. Um, but uh, I'd just like to say that John's made me a very, very happy person because I uh, oh, came up and I went, uh, uh, and he went, you want a coffee? And uh, I've got the special coffee. I've got the Careto, 
Yes. A, a little bit of holy water the in there. The coffee just come up out of the beautiful electric percolator that we've got. Mm. And, and uh, that sets us up for the day, so now we'll keep running. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, and here we are, in the middle of winter. You've brought some show-and-tell. You changed your mind halfway through, and you went, no, nah, I need to go and get this Savoy cabbage and bring it to you and show you, and you wanted to show this to me. What's with the cabbage? <laughs> well, this is a beautiful Savoy cabbage, La Verza, as they say in Italian. Like what? La Verza the, in Italian. The green one? Yes. Okay. Um, See, I'm picking and, it up. And it's not a flat-leaf cabbage, it's a wrinkly cabbage. Now, this one yeah. is not overly wrinkly. There's another variety that's very, very wrinkly. Super wrinkly. Yes. And but, you can you can almost squeeze it. This yes. Is, yeah. But a little bit harder um, on the leaf. This is a softer leaf. Now, we don't eat plain cabbages anymore because I find that they can be bland and bitter and hard sometimes. The drumhead has been banished. Well, they're not drumheads anymore. You're back in the 90s, mate. Oh. Well, well, now no, I'm, an old, a, I'm an old bastard. Yeah, I know. What, what are these smooth cabbages that you eschew, that you go, nah? Just a plain cabbage. Oh, just a plain, all right. In Queensland, they still grow the beautiful spring cabbage, which is um, like a cone head. Oh, yeah, I've seen this. Um, but that's a beautiful, soft sweet cabbage but it doesn't travel and it doesn't live very long mm. whereas the savoy you can have it in the fridge for up to two weeks and it'll still be beautiful um and the beautiful big red cabbage here have a look at the vibrancy of that that's a smooth um smooth top one. Oh, gee that's hard isn't it it that's, is hard very hard but even beautiful though it's color, cold yeah to make the best coleslaw <laughs> yeah you shred both together with a beautiful carrot and a little bit of onion and whatever else you want to throw in there how do you dress uh, just a little bit of olive oil, maybe a, a drop of vinegar. Yeah, like a little bit of sharpness to it. Um, you know what I love in my coleslaw? It's maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe if I was... <laughs> I, I'll stop. Caraway seed. A little yeah. bit of caraway yeah, seed, I, that little bit of... Like... I thought you'd go there because that's what a lot of people do. Oh. I, I even like mine more with mayo than oil, but mm. um, my mother's um, one for getting a, a red cabbage, shredding it, covering it with vinegar and let it sit on a bench and she'll go past all day and graze on it. She loves it. Yeah, and, and it's good for you too, mind you. You could do worse. Definitely. It's better than a bag um, of chicken twisties. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but now that it's cold, it's time to have um, salted uh, pork or corned beef uh, and cabbage. And there are many ways you can do that. You can boil a lot together like we do um, old style. Mm. Um, or you can sauté your cabbage in a fry pan mm, like some, some of the chefs like to do. Sauté. There are no rules. So you do it any way you like. You know what I love? Um, me, is me. if you just cut out a segment of the cabbage and then you just steam that and it just becomes so sweet and so beautiful and you just think to yourself... Wow, why don't I eat more cabbage? Because this is really beautiful. It is. It's and quite that, a and profound that, taste. It is. It? That's the beauty of a Savoy cabbage. Yeah. And um, my neighbour, Robert, keeps giving me a hard time because I put a little bit of bakey in it. Uh, the bacon really accentuates it as well. Yeah. But if you're doing with salted pork or um, salted beef, corned beef, yeah. um, that, that brings out the flavours as well. Um, and also, this is a beautiful cabbage to do cabbage rolls. I was just going to ask you. If you, you want to get traditional and um, is that do your, the old style. That's an Italian thing as well? Uh, not so much in our family, but yes. Yes, yeah. a, a lot of Italians do it. A lot of Greeks still do it. Um, it is the real il, il cane de povero. Yeah. 
That's right. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, and, and it was a poor man's dish, but it's not. It's it's beautiful because you put beautiful pork or beef or whatever in it or even just rice or any way you want to go. Yep. Um, the possibilities are endless, what you can do with a cabbage. Um, I, I like it a lot. A lot of people shy away from cabbage, but it's a beautiful vegetable. And yeah. we don't talk about it very often, which is unfortunate, yeah. um, especially the red cabbage. Um when, when we cook red cabbage, we normally put a Granny Smith apple with it because um, it makes it stay red. But lately we've found that even without putting the cabbage in, it's been a beautiful red hue when you've cooked it. Yeah. And um, it really it looks good on the plate. And, and I like the flavour. Let, let, let me just hold up. Um, and when you say put a, um, an apple in there... Granny Smith apple. Uh, cut up, shredded, yeah. diced. yeah. Whatever. Shredded. Okay, just get whatever, it. Whatever, whatever. I don't mind chunks of apple. All right. And it melts down anyway. Yeah. And um, um, because a lot of people don't know, in the olden days, they used to make their um, litmus paper, which is a pH tester with a red cabbage. No way. Yes, they did. Not, not anymore because they've got other things that they can use, but that's what they used to use. Because acid will turn it one way and then an alkali will turn... That's cabbage. right. No and that's way. why we put the green apple in. Wow! Because that's acidic and that's going to bring out the colour. That's right. You are just a fount of information today, John. When it comes to food, why not? I know, I know, I know. And Italian, you know, my God. That is And, good. and also, uh, talking about vibrant colours, I just wanted yep. to, sh- to show you... A couple of black um, Russians A couple of black here. Russians... And a rouge de marmont. Um, these are the size of a cricket ball. These could and be centerfolds in oh, Tomato Monthly. They are beautiful. <laughs> and, and they're not cheap, though. No. $15 for the black and 12 for the rouge. Well, just um, the fact that this exists in the middle of winter yes, is almost yes. a miracle in itself, isn't they, it? These are grown by a Vietnamese family in Virginia, South Australia, which is on one side of... South Australia, Murray Bridges on the other. We got some lovely tomatoes from them. Mm. Um, they learnt well from the Greeks and the Italians how to grow tomatoes in a glass house, and they've got it up scratch. Jeez, um, beautiful. Even though they're a little bit expensive, people are still buying three, four, five, six uh, to have a magic salad during a week. Mm. Uh, and then they're buying Murray Bridge tomatoes. We got anything from four to six dollars a kilo, which is not too bad, Jeez, considering good. they're selling the generic rubbish for four dollars and five dollars a kilo around the market. Yeah, yeah. And if you um, go to the supermarkets, you won't cold, get that. We like to have a salad. Yep. Yep. Uh, another thing that um, sort of seems a little bit out of season but I thought I'd just grab them because they look so pretty. Um, you've got these really, really lovely zucchini, and they're still at that... They're not tiny, but they're not big, and they look like... That looks to me like it would have so much flavour in it. It is. The small zucchini like this, um, it's about and the size of a 20-cent piece in, in um, circumference. These come out of Queensland from Bundaberg, uh, they're picked and shipped straight away. They're down on the table within a day and a half, two days at the most. That's why they look vibrant. Um, they're beautiful zucchini. You can just steam them and um, put a little bit of butter on top or a little, melt a little bit of cheese over them mm. and they make a, a, a separate um, veggie on the plate. Mm. Or you just chuck them into a soup. Here's Big Mick from the bread shop. How yeah. you going, Mick? Hey, Mick. Um, 
Because croissants might be coming out soon. Oh, I'd say so. He's got yeah. that beautiful electric oven down here mm. where they pull out the hot bread and... Um, noisette uh, yeah. croissants, and That's they right. are beautiful. Uh, another thing, we're going to go on to the segment after you. We're talking to Jane Grills about getting kids in the kitchen. And um, one thing that I really, really like, zucchini fritters. Oh, yes, you read my mind. Hey! Because um, Frank has been grating them up and um, either making fritters or an omelette with it, and I rather enjoy it myself. Um, if you do it properly, they're not oily, and um, they look different again on a plate, so it's good for the kids to get involved. Yeah, and they can help out, and they can help, and they can flip the fl- fritters and, over. And it, it changes the texture of it as well. It doesn't look like a little round bit full of seeds, yeah. which a lot of kids say, so... Yes, it's good to do something different and get them involved, especially since they're probably getting bored at home. <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to see if we can fix that up with Jane. Uh, coming up next here on 3 Triple RFM. Uh, the other thing... Oh, also, uh, the fritters. Look up a recipe. There's lots of recipes. Jeez, they're easy. The most important thing, though, is you've got to get that moisture out of the... Um, out of the zook. So salt them a little bit beforehand and then squeeze them with a, a tea towel or a muslin or something. Well, when they're young like this, there's not a lot of moisture in them. Mm-hmm. You'll find that the big ones are um, can be either spongy or a little bit too wet. So yeah, yeah. you've got to find the balance. Okay. Um, now, very quickly, the uh, one of my favourite things in the world, and um, long-time listeners to the show will know that they are artichokes and artichokes of... And this one looks mean, doesn't it? It does. It's got a little bit of... It's a bit spinosa. So a bit yes. spiny on the top. Ow, 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 ow. Um, and beautiful fat stems. Big fat stem. Um, which you peel back and don't waste it all. So mm. a lot of people say, cut the stem off. And I say, no, you're going to break my heart. You have to peel the stem back and eat the flesh in the stem because there's as much flesh in there as there is in a heart. Now, this variety, uh, yeah, even though it looks... Um, a little bit coarse on the outside. It's not as hard as it looks. I only peel off one or two layers. Mm. Throw those leaves into a stock if you're making a stock. Um, if not, just break them off, throw them away. Cut the top off and then go from there. And the things you can do with that, you can stuff it, you can steam it, you can do it with your broad beans. People must know by now. Yeah, definitely. So. And or, there are plenty of recipes out there too. Or at its most simplest is you take off a few leaves boil it in acidulated water for around about 20 minutes seems to be the 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 bliss point for most of these artichokes and then serve it with your best vinaigrette definitely do it like the french do all right i'm gonna have to get out of here soon pick of the market pick of the market um because i'm feeling cold maybe corned beef and cabbage actually i got you like it do that two weeks ago uh, we had um, salted ham, uh, pork hocks and cabbage. Yep. That was gorgeous. It was really was. Um, and then maybe another night we might have a beautiful two-bone steak with a bit of um, coleslaw. Mm. Um, that and, mix that you're talking about, the yeah. red and the savoy. But um, beans and peas have been hot again. They've been nice and tender, the beans. Peas have been big and full and sweet. Um, a lot of people are probably making soups and casseroles. They've been buying the beautiful parsnips um, and carrots, which have been juicy. They're from Western Australia. Uh, even the local Dutch carrots, which have got the greens on top, they're very, very nice. A lot of the people are buying them for their kids to have um, as a snack during the day rather than have too many um, twisties and stuff. Too like, many chicken twisties. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
and the tomatoes, we've got an abundance of tomatoes, which is so blessed, even though it's cold. We're um, getting good tomatoes in. We're ripening them to the stage where people are happy and uh, they're running away off the shelf as well. And then we've got the beautiful greens like grappa and artichokes and things. Come and have a look, guys. Design your menu when you get to the market. What else can I say? It's good life. We've got good food. La Bonavita, for sure. And we've got the family close. I hope you do out there. Um, stand by. We're going to talk to Jane Grills about kids in the kitchen after this. Sounds good. Keep well, everyone. Thanks, John. Thank you. Hello, Jane. Hello, Cam. How are you? Yeah, g'day, Jane. How are you doing? Where have we found you? <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Where where are you? Where is here? Because it's not reg- It's not uh, uh, urban Victoria. You're regional. I'm uh, I'm in lovely sunny Castlemaine, and I've just I've just come back from Dalesford. So I've been to the markets, and I've been to the new wine and cheese merchant there, which is wow. amazing. Yeah, I've been been to Harvest. I've got my shilt. Milk in the glass bottle, my oh, uh, cream. I know, I've had a ball. <laughs> you've, you've been doing it all. Thanks, Carl. Um, now, what are we? What's your title? How, how, what would you like to be referred to, other than kitchen goddess? <laughs> um, I'm actually a home economist. Yes. But I mean, I mean, I'm really a consumer scientist, but you say consumer scientist and everyone's like, hey. And then you go, well, I'm actually uh, a home economist, which is a home economist stemmed from, you know, remember home ec when you're in high school. I do. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So home ec teaches a home economist, which mm. sounds a bit daggy, but I kind of quite like it. In the UK, um, everyone knows what home economists are, funny thing. And, uh, you know, Jamie Jamie has 15 of them, I think. <laughs> and uh, over here, it's like Rodney Dangerfield. They don't get no respect. <laughs> I, know, I, th- I think they do, and I think it's, um, you know, I mean, it's so important to... We're the people that teach kids how to cook, you know. And, and you know, they're still doing um, cooking in high schools. It's not called home ec anymore. And, and what an important thing that is, Jane, and... And it's one of those things that should not be underestimated, and the, and I guess and the kids shouldn't be underestimated either, because um, one of the things, the the whole thing that sort of inspired this was um, a buddy of mine, Joe Mungrel, sent me a, a photo of a meal his daughter had cooked. Um, Ava, hello Ava, if you're listening, and also hello, her other Ava. sister Lila, who's also a very good chef too. She cooks like a, a dream. But Ava's nine years old, and she came up with this dish that was amazing. Extraordinary. Yeah. Can, you know, well, the photo, like, it looked incredibly tasty. The salad leaves looked plump. The dressing looked gorgeous. The chicken was crumbed beautifully. And she's nine, you know. And she's nine. Amazing. And she also used it. Can you describe the salad for us? Because I haven't got it in front of me. Uh, so it was a rocket and baby spinach salad, and she did um, sautéed or roasted, I think, some potatoes, little cubes of potatoes and carrots. Yeah. And then using uh, quite a, you know, a, a slash ingredient for a nine-year-old, some pomegranate molasses, I would say, in the salad dressing with seeded mustard. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, my God. And it all just, every, you know... I, I was amazed when I was a kid and I was first doing hotel management, someone said to me, you know, you'll get to a stage where you can just look at a recipe and know whether it works or not. And I remember 
thinking mm. well, that, that's crazy i'll never be able to do that but I looked at that recipe and I just went, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's ticks all around, yeah, isn't all it? all the components are there. It's crunchy. It's got a beautiful, the salad dressing looked amazing. You know, you could tell it was a really beautiful, balanced meal. Yeah, so then... And if nine-year-olds are eating like that, boom. I mean, and cooking and eating like that, I mean, you know, they're home and host for life, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that is, and, and rather than just make this just a glory to Ava Keeley kind of show, um, we should say, how old should kids be uh, when you sort of get them started in the kitchen, do you think, Jen? Uh, oh, as young, as young as anything. I mean, you know, kitchen science and food science starts when they start eating. Yeah. You know, so it's all that sensory stuff in the mouth and um, developing their taste buds and, you know, offering them different things. And then it's that whole process of, you know, if a kid doesn't like broccoli, one, try it again, try it again, try it again. They say it's about 14 times you have to try something before, um, you know, they might like it. Did you and say so 14? What, what, I think 14, yeah. Wow, it sounds yeah. like me with porridge. Oh, really? How many times have you tried it? <laughs> uh, it I, I, it, it's just one of those weird things. There was a couple of weird things that defined my childhood. One was that egg yolks freaked me out, like in a sunny, you know, in a fried egg. It was just like, <laughs> I used to cut around the white and then I'd just sort of hold my nose and eat the egg yolk because returning the egg yolk to my mum was just not an option, shall we just say that? <laughs> Um, and Hang on, so what didn't you like, the yolk or the white? No, the, the, the yolk. It was, a runny yolk was sort of just, it just made me a bit gaggy. And then... Uh, you por- like Jerry Seinfeld eating his egg white, um, egg white omelette. Oh, no, I'm not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm still eating full fat and everything like that, don't you worry. Right. Um, ab- ab- about that one. But then porridge was like that. But um, what was the point of that? Oh, yes, you're just saying keep trying and... Yeah. And this is this is the mistake that parents make is that they say, Oh, my kid doesn't like that you know, so and then they don't cook it for them and then, you know, a kid comes to me in grade two and they're like, Oh, I don't like that and then they try, you know, because they're they're out in the garden and they're trying rocket and spinach and carrots and you know every brassica, you know, that you can imagine and they say, Oh, I don't like cabbage but then they eat it. And then they're like, oh, this is great. This you is know, really then, good. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's it's from so from kinder, I think kids can start doing cooking. Yes. You know? And I think Stephanie has developed a program now that goes into kindergarten, mm. which is extraordinary. Um, we start at grade two. And when the grade two come in, they're knee high to a grasshopper. Like literally, some of them can barely um, look over the kitchen bench. So we've got little steps for them to stand on and um it's you know we usually start and it's usually summer when we start and so it's just making pesto making um fresh pasta making all those beautiful easy tactile things so a kid that makes dough or that rolls pasta is a bread and pasta maker for life because the joy that you know of touching that touching rolling dough and like making you know we make it into little shapes sometimes Mm -hmm. it's you know it starts it starts there for for them and the penny drops within a couple of weeks with some kids um you know where they they're sort of quite they can be quite intimidated coming into the kitchen because 
you know, they've never used a knife or they're not aware, you know, a knife is something to be scared of, you know, when where they come from. Or uh, I've never peeled an apple. And so, you know, it's just about laying down the foundations of, of how to do things properly, how to hold a knife, how to respect a knife, how to wash your knife up, how to dry it, how to put it away, how to walk with the knife. I know the um, answer, Jane. I know the answer because you taught me. me. You taught me this in, <laughs> what is it, Bendigo Festival, about probably about four or five years ago. It's called Eagle Claws, Cameron. Bear claw, bear claw. What the happened eagle, eagle claw is the same. Oh, I like the eagle claw. I thought it was no, eagle. It was eagle claw, claw. You told me. Yeah. Anyway, just you, can you can you're we do? Animals. Yeah, we'll get it mixed up. <laughs> what is eagle claw or bear claw? Just for those we can for those at home, play along with Jane. So I want everyone to hold up their left hand. That's you too, Cal. Right yeah, Cal's doing it. You know, I've got the phone in one. And yeah. You know, you want your knuckles at a right angle with the tips of your fingers um, tucked in and your thumb bent behind your fingers. And then you, um, you know, you pop your elbow out. And so your hand kind of turns, um, you know, turns at an angle. So you're looking down. If you put your head straight over your knuckles, you cannot see the tips of your fingers. Oh, okay, so yeah, so basically, and you're holding it handle from the, with the handle, not the blade. So that's so you yeah blades in the other hand. Yeah. And so holding your food with your bear claw, with your fingertips pointed under, mm. and what you notice is when you put the tip of the knife on the board mm. and you slice down, you will never ever slice the tips of your fingers or your fingers if your thumbs behind your fingers and your tips are away. That's beautiful, Jane. All right, it is. We're going to have to get you back on to talk about these things very quickly. Food, food science, experiments. Food, uh, loving food science at the moment. We're going hard on, um, you know, edible, edible kitchen science. So we've, um, we've made butter. So you can see on my Instagram page, like, the, the joys of making butter. I, I haven't made it for years, actually, and it, it's literally one of the nicest things ever you can do and it's also that mathematics is that you, if you have 200 grams of cream you whip your butter you get your butter out and then there's all the um you know all the um whey yes. or buttermilk and then you measure that and then you measure okay 200 grams of cream i got 93 grams of butter <gasps> i know um, what you're gonna say you know, yes yeah we can and work percentage butter you, fat you try and work out like so 76 grams of whey so that equals 169 grams where's 41 grams <sighs> then you you look in the bowl and so and then you look on the beaters and then it's that waste, you know, that you haven't got. So it's it's quite interesting, you know, all the mathematics, all the, you know, shaking that cream and all the fat globules coming together and then releasing um, you know, the buttermilk is, is fascinating. It certainly is. And, Love it. and the more you do, the more you learn, it's incredible. Uh, I've got a little bit yep. of poetry. Uh Irish poet. Um, Seamus Heaney uh, called butter coagulated sunlight heaped up like gilded oh, gravel in the bowl. We uh, all need some coagulated sunlight. Oh, sorry. Had we you, do. Had you not finished? Got to go. No, we're going to – I'm going to have to leave you. Jane, we're going to catch up with you again and do more food experiments. See you later. Thank you. Thanks, Cam. Thanks for your show. It's awesome. Ah, right back at you. 
Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. 